Greetings and salutations, everyone, and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast where we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis, and joining me this week, through the miracle of satellite technology, it's Emily Benita. Hi, Emily. How's it going? Salve, citizen. I like this slightly <laughs> Roman, uh, Roman-esque introduction you've got now. I like it. I think we should keep it. I'm all right, thanks, Ed. I am having uh, quite a lazy day uh, re-watching various things that we're chatting about mm. and also things that we're not chatting about maybe in the future no mm. i'm i'm grand thanks well i was i was just quoting the movie that we're <laughs> talking about today i toyed with doing an impression of him but uh, yeah i can't do a christian slater impression <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anyone can like even even christian slater at certain times is basically sort of doing an impression of himself i think he's so distinct yeah. he's got such a distinctive voice hasn't he mm. yeah no Great. That's the thing about the film we're about to talk uh, talk about today. I mean, I'm just going to keep the suspense, even though everyone knows. Um, it's <laughs> so eminently quotable. It's ridiculous to the point that it's kind of embedded itself so much in particularly my friends and I and how we chat to each other that I almost forget that it's a quote from it at all. It just goes all the way right round. Mm, yeah, that, that, certainly rewatching it and I'll, I'll keep the suspense going. Certainly rewatching it, I was surprised by just how much of the vernacular of it seeped into just popular culture in general like there's lots of particular lines that you'd see crop up in or that i would hear crop up in conversation when i was at high school or that you would see in other things that were set at high school made subsequent to its production and yeah it was it was cool watching it thinking oh this is like ground zero for a lot of a very specific kind of depiction of high school oh totally so the movie we're talking about today is heathers the movie directed by uh, michael lehman written by daniel waters just to give a quick rundown of the plot the movie takes place in sherwood ohio and focuses on the a group of teenagers at the uh, fictional westerberg high school the main character being Veronica Sawyer, played by Winona Ryder, who is this character who is part of a group called the Heathers, which is this group of popular girls who are all called Heather, except for her. But she is an enabler and a better of theirs. You know, she is the one who helps them forge hall passes and things like that and signatures on important documents, which plays into the movie later. She hates the Heathers, who are her friends, and she becomes involved with a young loner figure i guess called jd who is played by christian slater and very quickly after the two get together they kind of get a body count going they kill a few people semi accidentally and then you know the, from there their relationship kind of like splinters off came out in 1988 in parts of the world which is why we're talking about it it's 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 30th anniversary this year and it's uh, just been given a, I believe, a re-release in the UK. They're kind of like showing it in cinemas across the country, which is uh, super cool. Although, and we'll probably maybe get into this in kind of a broad discussion of its background, it didn't come out until 1989 in the US, which is kind of interesting considering it's considered something of a, a seminal American high school movie. Totally, yes. I haven't had a chance to book my ticket yet for the re-release, but... I'm pretty stoked to see it on a big screen because I just watched it in advance of our conversation today. 
a little while ago and the thing that struck me even though I was watching it on a tiny screen admittedly in HD how good the film looks it really holds up it's got this kind of almost uh, blue velvet kind of acidic pop neon color scheme going on mm. which ties yeah. into kind of the croquet balls and everything at the time it's just like dialed up to the max and the way that it's shot the compositions are beautiful and I think there's so many like really iconic moments and frames to be taken from it so I'm really excited to see that then on a big screen because I think it will still look absolutely amazing yeah it it really does have this wonderful dichotomy between the kind of preppy heightened pastel aesthetic of it and you know a story that is gleefully dark and cruel in places and and in that respect it really reminded me in a lot of places of something like pushing daisies and i think any show or movie made in the years since that has a real bright visual pallor but a tone that is a lot more acidic owes a lot to heathers it it, 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 or, or at the very least it serves as a very good blueprint for those kind of stories like if you want to know how to do that mix of style and tone well then you could you could do much worse than study what Lehman and Waters did when they made this movie. I think the thing is, I, I do have to say, like, I am amazed, uh, and I'm going to sound horribly patronising, but that two men were two of the main kind of creative people on this film because the way mm. that Waters manages to understand the patterns of speech amongst teenage girls is incredible Mm. and the same with kind of layman and understanding how they even walk and move so i think it's incredibly insightful because it even though it appreciates even though we're focusing on a very particular group of girls it is the kind of student body as a whole so you Mm. have these kind of really what we would call now stuff like toxic masculinity like well ahead of any of that vocabulary came into the debate you're you're dealing with these incredibly gendered levels of power and how that's Mm. expressed and i really love watching uh shannon doherty's heather oh yeah her arc throughout the film she kind of rises like some uh some phoenix from someone else's ashes and the way that her costume and makeup plays into that how her movement changes and it's just so well observed and then replicated but in a way that it doesn't sound like they're pretending to sound like teenagers Mm. it feels very authentic yeah it i was reading up on the background of the movie and it was inspired largely by daniel waters younger sister because he was very very young when this movie was made he was like 24 i think when the movie was released what have i done with my life 28 (laughs) sorry carry on Uh, sorry so he was i think so he wrote it like in i guess in his early 20s and it was very much inspired by stories that he'd heard from his younger sister who was in high school at the time or just recently graduated and you know her friends and their social dynamics and also by simone de beauvoir's second sex Mm. so he, I think, was drawing from, obviously, real life in that respect, but also clearly was grounded in a philosophical and academic tradition. And I think that's well, there's what's one of the many things about the 
about the movie that really shapes it in terms of how well it captures the feeling of high school, but also the way in which it doesn't fit it, it, it heightens the experience you know it's, yeah. it, there is enough of a remove from it philosophically and biographically by the fact that he's he's a guy that it, it is kind of a key to making it almost almost anthropological in that respect and yeah also i think in terms of talking about the creatives people i think a lot of the movie stems from winona Ryder in the lead role because i think there's lots of stories of little things in the movie that she contributed like the fact that it's called Westerberg High School is because she was super into the replacements and things like that so <laughs> I think they took a real cue from her and her co-stars in terms of like the feel of the movie and the performances I think there was a, a lot of collaboration which probably also helps the fact that Lehman and Waters were both very green like this was Lehman's first movie as a director as well so mm. uh, maybe there was a lot of cross-pollination creatively in that respect. That's so cool. I, I love anything that's that kind of collaborative because then you do really feel like it's a, a joint effort and that's what I think some of the best films come out of. And mm. you look at something like, for example, years later, Ryan Johnson's Brick. Yeah. That owes a huge debt to Heathers because that definitely has a kind of weird looking back, looking forward, feels very current, but not really constricted in a contemporary way. I think, like, the mm. only thing that could possibly date Heathers is, like, you know, there's sort of mention of, like, certain bands that are around at the time. But beyond that, it, it feels almost bleakly eternal in mm. what it's dealing with and, and who they're talking about. Do you know it? I tried to find this, right? Okay, slight aside. The monocle when she's writing. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favourite things ever. Do you know who came up with that? I couldn't see that in... Uh, my uh, reading up on the production of the movie uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it was Winona Ryder yeah totally or maybe the mystery of the monocle will continue I don't know I mean the film yeah. is so funny but in terms of what I find and and that kind of humor really does last forever in terms of how biting some of the lines are and it's so perfectly paced and nothing outstays its welcome like it's actually it absolutely burns through what it's doing in a relatively kind of standard running time um, mm. but it's this idea of watching it again I was really struck by this idea of how do you try and make things better and does something worse come in its place like the Heathers mm. are, themselves are so interchangeable and Shannon Doherty's Heather and I always refer to the actress sorry rather than uh, their surname because I feel like it's a bit easier to keep track of them despite being tortured by Heather number one is so willing to take that place and to continue the torture, even though she was absolutely the receiving end of it in terms of being pushed to being bulimic, essentially. Mm. And everything that Veronica is saying, like, you know, you, the heathers are like a hydra, you chop one off and mm. another one comes back in its place. And it is this idea of like, oh, well, what, what can you do then? How can you make your world a better place? Yeah. And I think that also you see some of that after she and um, JD killed the two football players and mm. they stayed it to make sure it was like a, a, a double suicide between two secretly gay lovers and they're at the funeral and everyone's, uh, you know, kind of crying over it. And the dad says, you know, I love my dead gay son, which is a, a, very, a very funny line in how he uh, delivers it. 
But JD then whispers to Veronica, you know, how do you think he'd react to a son with a limp wrist and a pulse? Mm. And uh, which is very much the film kind of like undercutting the idea that death makes uh, or, or kind of like reinforcing the idea that death makes saints of us all, regardless of how terrible the person was in real life, but also how it in some ways allows for hypocrisy to be expressed in that way because no one's going to say to the father of a dead son that they probably would have hated him if he was alive and even though the fact he's not really gay uh it is almost beside the point you know it's allowing the movie to puncture a lot of myths surrounding you know like how people react to people when they're dead and when they're alive we can all be saints when the person that we had an issue with can't have a right to a response and yeah. you, you have that with JD and uh, Veronica flipping through the kids that they know talking to the various news networks after Heather mm. has supposedly committed suicide. And the thing that they react to more about and the thing that Veronica initially has more of a difficulty with is everyone else's hypocrisy at what's happened and how everyone is using this death as a way to appear. It's essentially virtue signaling. Mm. Yes. But the thing that doesn't surprise me about learning that Waters very much based it on his own sister, I think there's a lot of compassion towards Veronica. And I think she's such an amazing character. The line that always sticks with me is when she says, oh, these are my workmates and our job is being popular. You don't have Mm. to like the people that you work with, but there's something in being popular that Veronica is attracted to enough and benefits her in such a way that she'll put up with these awful people around her yeah but the thing that i love is that the undercurrent of that is that she doesn't suddenly go through some sort of like revelation about how terrible everything is she's already struggling with it from the off Mm. right when she sees um heather number one doing her lunchtime poll and that really horrible fake note that they plant on martha dump truck's tray and that you see this really beautiful vulnerable moment of martha believing that actually the jock could like her that she's going to sees this opportunity and how that sadist pleasure that the heathers take in in watching that and veronica kind of takes a little step back from it and then just after that jd with that incredible line at the funeral and she's laughing away and she looks and she spots the much younger sister of Mm. one of the jocks who they've killed to stage in this um homosexual suicide pact and the look on her face like Winona Ryder's just incredible, like particularly mm. in Heather's. I don't think it's not to say I'm not trying to belittle her later work, but there is something about this performance which is so incredible because she manages to break beyond this kind of. It could have been a very one-note teenage thing, but she's constantly evolving. And there's all these little strange aspects to her personality where she feels so rounded and, and interesting, and I think particularly how she reacts with her parents, I really love. I love how her parents are these kind of run like clockwork, pretty wealthy, always stopping at about five for pate and a cocktail. But there's <laughs> there's a very loving, if slightly distant bond between all of them. And they are yeah. concerned for her, but it's from what I get, it's more that they trust her, which is why they mm. leave her be than anything else. But then as the events of everything go on, Veronica reaches out to friends that she hasn't seen in a really long time that reminded me a lot of Freaks and Geeks and Linda Cardellini and her Mm. kind of like going back to her kind of her older friends and the threat 
to uh, Shannon Doherty, Heather, of being revealed as a friend of a childhood friend of Martha is is enough for her to be blackmailed into being on board with JD's eventual plan. I just think everyone in it is so is so rounded and well observed. JD as well, because he's not your average bad boy. Like he is someone who is actually deeply traumatized and yeah. has a point. Like mm. I mean, yeah. whether whether they should have killed Heather, particularly whether they should have killed the jocks, but Heather was was terrible. Like if mm. anyone deserved to die. <laughs> Yeah, and in kind of his, I guess, his broader point uh, where, you know, that the school is viewed as a microcosm of society and his idea being that there's no way to fix it. You just have to blow everything up, you know, literally in his case and I guess figuratively in his kind of apocalyptic worldview and kind of nihilistic worldview. And even though the film turns away from that at the final minute, I think it does see some truth in what he's saying in in that respect yeah in terms of Winona Ryder's performance in this I think I think she is absolutely great and when you consider that this was pretty much one of her first movies and it came out after Beetlejuice in the US but she basically made them both at the same time Mm. I think one of the things about it that's really great is that she's such a raw nerve in comparison to the other Heathers like the other Heathers have this real kind of um, or, or the Heather, you know, she's just she's obviously not a Heather, as she points out. But you know, she's kind of part of that clique. They have such a complete disaffection and remove from everything that's going on around them. Everything's a game to them. Playing with Martha dump trucks and uh, saying a, a great line, which I thought was uh, I was genuinely shocked by. <laughs> Even now, I'd like to see this in like a, a what was clearly geared as a fairly mainstream comedy. Uh, that the it will give her showerhead masturbation material for weeks, Ooh, yeah. which is uh, yeah, which is a a, a line that I was like, oh, that's way more explicit than uh, I remember the movie being, but it's a very but very indicative of their complete you know disinterest in the the inner lives of anyone else. They just want to be popular and they want to mess with people. Whereas she, I think, when she first meets JD and she goes over to talk to him and. Um, I can't remember what he says, but, you know, her response of how very, in comparison to the way that the Heathers say it, is so markedly different. Like, you can tell she is struggling to maintain any kind of remove. She is genuinely, hugely attracted to JD and fascinated by him, and she can't maintain that remove, which is why, you know, she is willing to go along with JD's kind of plans and things like that because she realizes that she couldn't be like the heathers she couldn't be that cruel and mean and she can't stand seeing them be that way to other people and and in terms of the structure of the movie i thought it was really fascinating how we don't get any sign of her life before she joined the heathers like we know through her conversations with uh, betty played by uh, Renee Estevez, who looks exactly like Alison Brie, uh, which I, uh, so I haven't cute. noticed before. <laughs> but, like, she looks exactly like Alison Brie in Glow. She, we, we know through their interactions with each other that they used to be friends, but the movie starts with Veronica as one of the Heathers, kind of, like, helping them in their various schemes, writing them notes and things like that. But you don't see how that relationship started. And I think that's such a strong move. It's to start the movie with her already 
fairly disillusioned and wanting to get out of this situation and the way in which she and JD kind of end up extricating her from that situation involving uh, murder and a near mass murder uh, is obviously very extreme, but we already see her clearly wanting to pull away from that world. Oh yeah, play your cards straight up. Yeah. Don't we we don't what what do we gain from seeing her make that decision? Nothing. It's much better to go straight in because the story is of her extricating herself, not getting herself into it. And that's mm. where it differs from something like Mean Girls, which is much more of a morality tale than it is a a satire. Like the interesting thing is seeing how Katie's arc is so bumpy. Like we don't need to see Veronica being fed up with um, not being popular or whatever. It's much more interesting to just see where she is and then see her break away from it because that's where the real meat of all of this is. Mm. And that's a big difference between the movie and the musical adaptation as well because the musical adaptation, the first 20 minutes is basically her as this geek who's friends with, in the musical, Martha Dumtrucks instead of Betty. They They kind of combine those two characters and while it's good structurally because it gives you an opportunity for an I want song because it starts with Veronica wanting to be popular and all these sort of things and wanting to kind of break out of the box that she has been put into throughout you know her high school experience it also feels like it slows the story down because you have to go through okay she becomes part of the heavens they give her a makeover and JD doesn't show up until fairly deep into the story whereas this you know it feels so bracing dropping us in like two or three scenes later than you would expect a movie like this to drop you in and you do still you could even still um not that i've seen the musical adaptation but there's nothing to say you don't you can't have an i want song of surely there's more than popularity and you start it from Mm. the from exactly the same place there's no reason so to have that transformation okay so i haven't seen insatiable i don't plan to but it definitely seems that there is something along the lines of that where it's like, why even sort of start from this place of that's not what your story is about. You don't want mm. to see your character rise and fall. It's much more interesting to see if what they care about is, is this really for me? Um, and she's already from the off, like not that keen on it. And the thing mm. that I find really interesting in terms of what a lot of what the Heathers do is essentially trying to spend time with older boys or with boys in general and yeah. Veronica actually seems to have quite a, particularly for the time, really quite healthy and more really unfussed attitude to sex. Because right, yes. I don't think there are any uh, misgivings when we see her and JD after a game of strip co- croquet. I, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's the game and then there's the game, right? Like, I don't think you look at that and think anything else has happened. Yeah other than you know the act and they're clearly having like a sexual relationship but they are equals to start with like he's Mm. not i don't think he's full-on negging her when he's saying like why i don't like your friends because he knows she doesn't like them either like that's not that's not negging that's just them agreeing and she sees something different in him and i don't think there's any uh uh it's any accident that he's referred to as jd uh, maybe in a sort of nod to uh, Salinger, I think, in this oh, kind of yeah, like outsider definitely. in the woods sort of thing, rather than um, his full name and the fact that he role reverses with his father in this very kind of, again, biting, ironic, descent sort of way. Like the closest that he and his father can be together is um, 
glee in destroying things mm. <laughs> and uh, pretending to be more authoritative or less authoritative than they actually should be. But in terms of like coming coming back to sort of the sex and, and things again, like the way that Heather Three, who's the most sensitive of the lot, like she is really the most tragic, I think, because she wants to be open about her pain and she phones that hotline of uh, hot probs mm. which is a a dance night title for sure yeah <laughs> i think it's the neon sign in the phone in the uh, in the recording booth that does it for me but foolishly she gives her own name and then realizes oh no that's not my name madonna's not my name tweety tweety <laughs> is my name and it's so it's so over already as soon as she says her name, but it's actually her authenticity and her vulnerability that means that actually she and Veronica are the best of the friends of eventually of the four mm. um, because she does take that risk and it does make her want to kill herself. But Veronica stops her just in time. And uh, there's that beautiful line there as they're sitting there on the bathroom floor. You know, if you were happy every day of your life, you'd be a game show host, which <laughs> again, as a, as a kind of... Um, cutting through society and America like it's a that that line has always stuck with me because it's you know maybe happiness isn't isn't the way to go and particularly not pretending to be but Heather three I I love that at at, at a funeral <laughs> at one's funeral she's trying to get Veronica to double date with her and it's probably one of the worst double dates ever committed to film because it involves mm cow tipping being covered in shit and then having someone call over you in in not a particularly affectionate way <laughs> yeah but there's this constant threat of like and how heather one is manipulated by the college guy at the party in this like almost like so deadpan way like it's just going through the motions like i can't control myself when i'm around <laughs> you and this yeah. real kind of anger that like, like it's the only little shred that we see of heather one that maybe she's dissatisfied with herself as well where she's clearly gone down on him and she goes to, as she's taking this glass of water, she looks at herself in the mirror and like spits everything out yeah. and at herself. And I think yeah. that's really interesting because maybe without that scene, we wouldn't realise there was possibly a bit more truth to the suicide note that Veronica ends up writing for her. I think it's just mm. such an incredibly complex film that I think gets dismissed because it's a teen film. I do think there's still that yeah. kind of snobbery about young adult stuff and teen stuff. But I think everyone, even though they're not yet adults, they're very much fully rounded characters. Mm. And I, I do think that in a post-Buffy world, I think there is, I think people maybe take it more seriously just because Buffy would demonstrate kind of a similar grasp of how you can treat teenage concerns and experiences seriously and really delve into the darkness of the teenage experience whilst also making it kind of fun and peppy and having fun dialogue but never losing sight of what a kind of a in some ways what a bruising experience high school can be and i think that's that's one of the things that heathers gets really really well is is that high school is often you know, very, you know, it, it was in the 80s, and I can only imagine it's far worse now with social media and oh, in God, the US, yeah. you know, constant threat of mass murder. It does end, and you can break away from it and do, you know, other things with your life and, and, and kind of move on. And 
I think that's one of the things that makes Heather Wan's death tragic is the, you know, in the view of Veronica and JD, like she's this person who is, you know, irredeemable and you could, who deserves to die. But in that one instance of self-loathing you see with her spitting in the bathroom mirror, there is that sense of, oh no, this isn't all that she is. And then, you know, with the, you know, with hindsight, you can think, okay, maybe after she left high school, she would become a better person or maybe she just remained terrible. But, you know, like there's always the possibility for people to change because obviously in the movie, Veronica changes as well. Like she pulls away from, uh, again, the, a toxic relationship with JD and emerges as a different person at the end of it. No one is a character in this film apart from maybe the parents. Mm, or, or like the, the, the ancillary characters, like the, the people at the school board. Oh like my God. The, the one guy who, when he's told that Heather one died and says she was a cheerleader and they're saying like, oh no. And he's like, damn it. I'd be okay giving a half day off for a cheerleader. <laughs> you know, like yes. all these ancillary, all the adults basically are not quite human. Completely. Just going back to your point about mass shootings there, I think what really struck me about watching Heather's now is, of course, JD on pretty much his first meeting of the jocks in the cafeteria pulls a gun on them. And Mm. we quickly swing back to the Heather's. I think they're playing croquet again. Yeah. Talking about, oh, he's not going to get expelled. It wasn't loaded. He still brought a fucking gun to school. (laughs) Um, But that's America for you. And I think... It's probably a very tricky watch for people in America just now because every, everything is going on all the time and it's very hard to even see, even though it was a different time, there is still this, an individual with a gun thinking that they know how the world should be and that's mm. caused the most horrific pain unnecessarily. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think it will be a surprise to anyone that I think you know, gun control in America is, is non-existent and... Um, absolutely absurd that it it isn't but the thing about JD is that he very much is that kind of right to bear arms and that's the difficult thing about him like he sees the jocks torture the nerdy guys who also after Heather Wan's death have the guts to fight back for once Mm. there's something that's been upset in the social order even though everyone's battened down and said oh Heather Wan you know I love that guy who says oh she we went out for a while she said that she thought I was boring now I realize I'm not boring she just had problems in her own life (laughs) (laughs) which is I think horribly still a view that is uh, rife on the internet today yeah with with lots of lots of uh, men but they managed to stand up and, and actually fight back and when one of the jocks is like holding him only and he says you know he'll let him go on the condition that he says uh say I love sucking big dicks and it's one of my favourite retorts ever. Okay, okay, I'll say it. You love sucking big dicks. <laughs> he gets it harder. <laughs> but JD witnesses all this and he's just like battening down for it. Mm. And I think that's the difficult thing. It's it's like, what is the solution then? Because JD's doesn't work. Everything, everything gets worse. Mm. But he almost seems like, just one more time, just one more time and somehow we'll get it, we'll get it down. And he wants Veronica in on it. And I think, that's it like veronica is icky with it brought in by accident at the start isn't fully aware that jd absolutely plans to kill those two jocks in the woods 
Yeah. Even though we may actually empathize with his motivation. That's the thing. I love that Heathers makes you feel really sickly in terms of where you stand morally. It's a total grayscale for as bright and poppy as the colors are. Mm. And it's interesting watching it now. It's so strange to think that the movie was made before we had this stereotypic image of the school shooter. Yeah. Because JD looks so much like like as soon as he appears on screen now you're looking okay this guy is going to try and shoot up a school because he's got the he's got the black hair he kind of sits on his own he's wearing the long black trench coat and and so much of that has been present so much of those elements have been present in the school shooters since then most obviously in like the columbine shooters who dress exactly like jd and and it it really is weird and eerie how and, and how prescient the movie is in kind of picking up on those ideas and like the idea of the guy who maybe in a different story would be seen as you know like the guy who's on his own but you know educated and has you know like it doesn't take any bullshit from everyone else is actually the one that perhaps is most likely to be dangerous because that alienation can so easily curdle yeah completely uh, oh, just uh, another thing. Uh, in terms of the jokes in the movie that are very, very clever, oh. I really, really like the fact that the fake but actually real bullets that JD gives to Veronica to put in their guns when they kill the jocks, he calls them Ikluga bullets. He says they're German and they're from World War Two, but Ikluga just means I'm lying in German. <laughs> Which uh, is a joke that they don't actually point out that that's what the joke is. Veronica just later on goes, Luger, I'm such an idiot. It's like, oh, if unless you speak German, yeah. <laughs> then that joke is never explained. It's just there for you to pick up on if you do. Oh, that's so tasty, isn't it? There's none of that kind of like shout outing to audiences. It's really just so rich and in what this is what is there for you to discover in it as you wish. Mm. I think going back to your point about JD sort of predicting or, or or essentially like embodying this trope of the of the loner with uh, with a score to settle i think mm-hmm. what's amazing about heathers as well is that even though we're saying like oh you know this is before social media this is before 24-hour rolling news pretty much i mean god can you imagine heathers on snapchat mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a chilling thought uh, it manages so well to and i mean i think the american press has always been the american press particularly on like tv journalism is what i mean to say Mm. but the way that it captured how these things are covered on a local and national basis the school board i also really love that as much as we want to agree with that sort of hippie teacher everything that she's doing is kind of making it worse um yes because i think veronica criticizes her for sort of that's not actually helping you're still sort of romanticizing suicide this is a very real thing no one in in uh here has actually committed suicide the way that she becomes like she she starts her own movement i think it's like happiness is the answer or something like that Uh, the new Mm. happiness sorry that's on her badge pushing that forward and like how different is that from a hashtag twitter campaign these days Mm. and having a a leader and that's the problem everyone just takes this all these tragedies and starts claiming them for their own benefit and you know she she starts off being like oh let's all just get together and feel to which the head of the school board says, tell me when the shuttle is landed. <laughs> I, th- I think you also see in, like, a song, the song that's mentioned in the movie, Teen Suicide, Don't Do It, like, there's such a 
correlation there between that and then a lot of like well-meaning but in general kind of empty attempts to try and mitigate you know our various terrible societal problems through you know just kind of like like you say through hashtag campaigns and things like that you know things that try and engage with people and say like yeah we disagree with this thing that's happening but you know ultimately that you know raising awareness of a thing only goes so far and is is effectively useless if you're just making people aware of a thing that they're already painfully aware of yeah like like people know that teenagers commit suicide you don't need to record a song about it yeah exactly and then cash in on the record Mm, as well and everyone's buying their t-shirts and it can also ties into something like you know the just say no to drugs and all that sort of stuff that was going on around about the same time i think it's a it's a very clever subversion of the entire approach to a lot of the societal problems that during the reagan era because like obviously the reagan administration effectively didn't care about a lot of things that were going on you know they were just deregulating everything and handing off tremendous amounts of power to private corporations and but 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 they would say things like you know oh you should not do drugs and they would have like charity singles or whatever which effectively did almost nothing thoughts and prayers ed thoughts and prayers yes 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 so uh, in terms of i guess the legacy of the show obviously we talked about some of its influences and and also I'm, i'm interested by the fact that so many attempts have been made in the years since to try and redo the story in one form with kind of middling success like the musical is generally very well liked but it's it's never been big enough to make it to broadway although Mm. i believe it's on the west end right now so i guess it's it's having it's it's having it shot at you know trying to to make it there but also we had uh, a a aborted tv series which was meant to start airing this year the first episode was going to air in March, but was pulled from the schedules following the Parkland shooting because people felt that it was um, in poor taste to air the show at that point. And you know, it's it's neither here nor there. I think, for, as far as I'm concerned, that like I think there's a place for art that's confrontational when it comes to subjects like that and forcing people to be uncomfortable about realities. But the show has aired in some markets internationally, and I think the general response is that it's just not good enough to be that kind of work of provocative art and a large part of the reason why is that it's just so hard to get that tone right and the story itself works so well as a single movie that stretching it out over multiple episodes dilutes a lot of the power that the movie has from being you know an hour and 46 minutes long and just being like in out it makes all of its points incredibly well and with a kind of a sardonic smile and you lose a lot of that if you're like okay it's going to be 10 episodes 45 minutes long try and keep that going for (laughs) that length of time totally it's taut it's energetic it doesn't hold back any of its punches and i think in terms of this is the first time i've thought about it the actual timeline of the film we're discussing they're back from summer it's the start of a new year and we don't even get to prom. Like, it's not a teen film mm. because we're talking about who's, you know, the dark horse contender running in the race for to be Veronica's prom date. We don't even get to prom. That's how Yeah, I think is really interesting that that's something that's kind of proms almost like this kind of hopeful rite of passage. And we don't even get there because events get in the way. And I think the thing that Heathers the film does so well that Heathers the TV show from the scant things that I saw and read about it 
how it differs and what it does well. Heather's is confrontational. Mm-hmm. Heather's the TV show seemed really contrived and kind of caricature. Again, like I said, there are no caricatures in, in Heather's the film. And if they appear that way, that's because they're meant to be. But in Heather's the TV show, it seemed like everyone's just being really, really sassy and, oh, you bitch. And it's like, that's not what Heather's was about. And it misses the mark entirely. Mm. And I think also the, the legacy of Heather's the film and what I really love about it is that it doesn't really provide us with any easy solutions in terms of how to go forward. Like everything's mm. kind of left in ruins. We have this hopeful moment because we have Veronica and Martha kind of together. And in terms of the opposite ends of the social spectrum, you couldn't really get more than that. So there's some kind of harmony as they're walking through the ruins of the high school and, and they're talking. And at least there's kind of a discussion. But it's not to say that Veronica never had sympathy for Martha in the first place. And Martha certainly knew who Veronica was. JD's mm. taken himself out of the equation. But how how do, how do they move forward? Like Heather, Shannon Doherty, Heather's still running around. Yeah. Gaining power. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And how can Veronica deal with that? What's going to happen when they leave? It's not long before high school is done. And how do they go into the real world? And I think these are all really beautiful points of mystery rather than confusion. And I think why it is so... We keep coming back to it again and again is that it just shows how messy everything is. Hmm. And and I think also the problem with turning it into a TV show is that it it misunderstands the nature of how the movie became a hit in because it, it was a it was a massive well maybe not massive but it was a, it was a flop on release you know it only earned one point one million dollars in the US off a three million dollar budget and didn't really do any business worldwide as far as I can tell but it was a significant cult success on video and on home media you know and every time that it gets released on a new format you know it it tends to do very well it's had this incredibly long afterlife where it's been discovered by generations of teenagers and it has like I say it's, it's kind of helped shape the vernacular in some ways like uh, the the fact that people in the 90s would always were saying you know what's your damage and things like that that's a, a sign of the influence that the movie had and the reason why it had that influence why it had that impact and why it failed initially was it is such an uncompromising and strange unique vision and that's mean meant that it was never gonna find like a mass audience when it comes to you know kind of competing with you know what everything else that's going on in the movie theaters in 1988 you know it's not going to or 1989 rather when it actually came out in the u.s but it means that when people discovered it on home video you know it had an allure to it it had there was an edge of danger to it the fact that it, it was this thorny spiky acidic acerbic movie that mm. fit you know the the sensibilities of a lot of like disaffected gen x teenagers and whatever that that's what gave it its power and if you try and then say okay we're going to take this thing that is now popular because people discovered it over time because it was this this singular thing and try and turn it into something with mass cultural appeal like so much of what made it distinctive is going to get lost and maybe you know i'm not saying it's impossible that you can make a great tv show using the heathers template and because there are shows that have yeah. a lot of the same qualities that it, that it has but it's so difficult to do so completely i think you're right and i think things like 
if you look at something like Glow, I think, for example, not quite mm. as poppy and, and bright, but it's certainly criticizing that. And it's dealing with stuff like intersectionality and with how complex relationships between women can really be. I think there's a little bit of that there. And I'd, I'd be welcome. I'd, I'd open arms to a, a Heather's reboot. I think maybe really it's just you can't really deal with teens killing teens in the modern era because it's not something that America is looking to face on any level of discourse. Yeah, I, I think there is there is a way to do it, but maybe trying to do a TV series version of it on MTV, I think, was the ones who produced it. You mean the MTV video games that are scourge of this nation, Ed? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also in terms of the, the legacy of the show, I thought it was really funny that for a very, for, for the legacy of the film, I thought it was really funny that for a long time, Winona Ryder was really pushing for a sequel to get made. Mm. And the premise of that sequel is insane. Uh, it would have followed Veronica becoming a page working for a senator who would have been played by Meryl Streep and would, through various machinations, end with her assassinating the president. <laughs> Oh my God, please, can we make it now? But instead, we have someone like... Oh, I'm so terrible with the Ute, the actresses. But what if we have Meryl Streep still as a senator, but Winona Ryder in carrying over from her Stranger Things renaissance as as Veronica, but Veronica as a mother, and then we have her daughter do that. Sure, like I, I would Hayley Steinfeld? Oh, sold! Greenlit, <laughs> take my money. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think there there is room to that, but it's kind of easy to see why. May, maybe that was a hard sell. Like, yeah, this movie that made no money. We want to make a sequel to it, and it's going to be uh, apparently on a far bigger and stranger canvas. But I don't know. It, the world's a bigger and strangerer canvas than then even Ed. Maybe it, mm. it's just crazy enough that it could work. Totally. Yeah, so uh, there's no uh, recommendations this week because uh, to uh, let people see behind the curtain a little bit, we're recording these episodes uh, in advance to cover while I'm uh, away on holiday for a couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, if, if you've enjoyed this episode of the show, please uh, subscribe to us on Stitcher, Player FM, iTunes, all the usual places, and leave us a review and rate us. You know, recommend us to your friends. That's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up. <laughs> 